Hello, and thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. Welcome, everybody. I'm glad you all made it. Full house. I love the show. I'm glad I'm back. I missed you all last week. Thank, thank you all for your loving words when I was sick. Glad to go Appreciate you guys. Does anybody remember what we have been talking about and what we talked about last week? Go for it. Hearing from God. Hearing from God. When you don't know what to do. Yeah, what to do when you don't know what to do. Last week we were kind of focusing on what's stopping us. Does anybody recall anything that's stopping us from hearing from God? Ourselves. Distractions. Ourselves, distractions. Lies. Lies. And we focus a lot on distractions, on what's distracting us. And a lot of it is busyness and just outside voices and, and, and things of that sort. Uh, I read the, that excerpt called Satan's Convention where, you know, Satan's telling all his demons like, hey, you know, just like make, make your person busy, like, you know, put a bunch of good things and bad things in their life and just distract them and, and you know, you don't have to like put bad stuff in their lives, just fill up their day with busyness and they'll be distracted and they won't, they'll forget about God. Um, and we looked at Martha and Mary when Jesus came over to the house for dinner and Martha was cooking and, and worried about trying to get everything ready and, and Martha was like, hey, Jesus, tell my sister to get off her butt, stop worshiping you and help me out in the kitchen. And Jesus is like, hey, Mary's found what's worth her time and it's not going to be taken away from her. And we put together a little Mary plan. Everybody got a little piece of paper who was here last week and had uh, those, those five things of uh, how to, going based off of Luke 10.38, your Mary plan of to be like Mary, to be at the feet of Jesus, of you know, where where is going to be your place and your time, and maybe a song and a verse and what your growth is. Does anybody have anything that they want to share? Was anybody able to spend some time with God this week, some one-on-one -on -one time? Yeah, few few head nods. Okay. Does anybody want to share anything? If not, that's fine. God showed up. God showed up. <laughs> awesome. What more can like you ask he always for? does, but you just gotta realize it. Yeah. You gotta be there for him to show up. True. I definitely was patient and listening to him. Um, getting guidance and like healing, I guess, for being sick was just trying to be patient and calm about it and rest, which definitely helped. And um, you know, knowing that I'll get by it. And luckily, it only lasted two days. I was worried it was gonna last more than two days, but. Like Wednesday last week, I was like, well, I'm good now. All in the clear. So, definitely listening and being patient helped a lot. Cool. Anybody else, anything? Um, I have had lots of downtime at work, which is great. <laughs> Today, had lots and lots of downtime. Um, but I've been going through the book of Samuel, and it has been so much fun. Um, and like ever since Ben has started this series of like hearing from God and having a relationship with him and being patient to hear him, um, not allowing distractions to, you know, it, like be, um, 
you know, in the middle of your of you seeking him. It's been really cool. Um, one thing that has stuck with me since I started the book of Samuel was how um, he first heard, like, from God. And it was just funny that um, when God called him, he thought that it was Eli that was calling him and he would go to his room. <laughs> oh my gosh, I laughed so much, but it's so great because sometimes we don't, we don't know what God's, like, voice sounds like and you're just, like, waiting for some, I don't know, whatever to, to hear from him, but it was interesting to see his, like, journey as he, he was dedicated to God from his mom, Hannah, and then from there, like, his journey started and him, like, hearing from God the first time. So that has been really cool to, to see that, and uh, especially in the Old Testament, which is something that, that Hannah has inspired me a lot to, like, appreciate more. Um, it's been really cool. Cool. Yeah. So today we're going to be kind of focusing on a facet of, I think, what stops us from hearing from God, and that's doubt. Doubt in a few different ways, but specifically, I think, kind of focusing on who am I? Right? Who are we? Who are we that God can use us? That He can use me, little Ben, you know? each one of us to, to accomplish his will, to do a mighty work, right? Because we're just one person, right? And we're just, you know, nothing special, right? Nothing nothing crazy we weren't. I don't know about you guys. I, I didn't have, you know, a miraculous conception. My, my parents weren't like, you know, oh, you're never going to be able to have a kid, and then they had me. Like, I wasn't that kid. Um, but, you know, the... There's nothing special, right? It's just it's just me. We're just normal people going about our lives. So what can God do with us, right? So that's the kind of doubt that we're going to say, nope, not true, actually, too. So before you say you're not qualified, I found quite a um, quite a list. It's a non... This isn't a fully exhaustive list of people in the Bible, but it's pretty extensive. Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob lied. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer and couldn't talk. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a murderer. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. So what? who are we, right? Compared to that list, we don't seem too bad now. It's like, oh, God can use... A drunk, an old person, a young person, a prostitute, a demon-possessed person, a dead person? Hey, maybe I'm not that bad after all. I'm not that bad. God has used worse, right? Like, I've, I've never killed anyone. I've never been divorced eight, like, five times. I've never died. Um, you know, some of us can say, one of us can say we've died before, but... <laughs> you know, I, I've never done some of these things before, but 
Okay, so what can God do with me? What can God do with us? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7, For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so that we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. We now have this treasure in clay jars. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. That's the key part. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. So what can I do to accomplish God's work? Not a whole lot. Not by myself. But with God, we can do a pretty great work because it's God's power, not our own power, that is what's going to, to help us to achieve that. So I want to start off at um, with Gideon, with the story of Gideon in uh, the book of Judges. Old Testament, guys, Old Testament. Which chapter, good sir? Judges 6. So we're really near the beginning. We got the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, Judges. Yes, I mispronounced Deuteronomy. <laughs> <laughs> I liked your first way better. I like it. Judges 6, 12. What? Just trying to see if we're listening. Huh? Just trying to see if we're listening. Yep. Pay attention. Judges 6, verse 12. So Gideon, it's quite a story going on here with Gideon. I, I might, I might kind of skim over certain parts um, because it's just so good. Like honestly, uh, we could just read just chapter six alone, and there'd be so much. And then we could keep going on because then seven's got some cool stuff too. And I'm like, hey guys, we might as well just start from Genesis one because there's some cool stuff we're missing otherwise, but. Anyway, Judges 6, 12, I think is kind of where is a good, a good part to jump in on what's going on here with Gideon. So, I'm going to start reading a bit, and I might read a little fast certain parts, and I might kind of pause on other parts. So, Judges 6, 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, him being Gideon, and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Which, let's just pause there at first, right off the bat. If you just had an angel of the Lord appear to you saying, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. That'd be pretty cool, right? I don't even know how I would react. I'd probably be like, first off, I'd just shock. My jaw would have probably hit the ground. It'd probably be pretty sore. And I'd probably be like, looking behind me like, who, who's the mighty hero? Me? Uh-uh. I'm just, I'm just Ben. Verse 13, Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord has brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Right, I'm going to pause here again. Prior to chapter 6 here, you see a whole lot of repetition in the book of Judges and prior to that. Essentially what you see is, there was peace in the land of Israel. Then people forgot about God. Bad things happened. They cry out to God, God, where are you? Help us. Save us. God saves them. 
and they're happy. And then they forget about God, and they do evil things, they worship other gods, and then bad things happen, and they say, hey God, where are you? Help us, save us. And God saves us. And then they forget about God, and they worship other gods, and it's very, very, very repetitive. And you're kind of looking at them from our perspective, and you're like, these people are ridiculous. They just, don't they see you like every single time? Once they abandon God, all these terrible things keep happening. They start worshiping other gods, and then like all these things happen. And then they turn away, and, they, and they're like, God, help us. And, and God shows up again. And you're looking at it, and you're just like, how are these people, what are these people missing? So let's keep going. Uh, we are in uh, 15, uh, maybe 14. 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So, we're the weakest, and I'm the weakest of the weakest. And you're saying, I'm going to save everyone? Who am I? They're calling me a mighty warrior, but what am I supposed to do? And now you're telling me to go my own strength? Uh, verse 16. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, If... You are truly going to help me. Show me a sign to prove it. That is really the Lord speaking to me. But don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, okay, I'll stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home, cooked a young goat, and with a basket of flour he baked some bread without yeast, then carrying the meat in the basket and bone broth and the, and the broth in a pot, he brought out to them and presented it to the angel who was under the, goat tree, and under the great tree. So he's like, okay, angel of the Lord, I'm not going to believe you until you show me a sign. Just, just wait here for like, just like one quick second while I go home and cook a goat and bake some bread. Just, just one, it'll be really quick. So he goes and does that. Verse 20, the angel of the Lord said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock, pour the broth over it. Gideon did as he was told. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread, the tip of his staff in his hand, and the fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. The angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I am doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. We're going to stop right there. Thoughts, comments, questions, observations so far? I like so far, uh, I have NIV, but uh, it's either in 15 and 13, and I like it says, pardon me. Like, he's like, he's interjecting. He's, uh, he's like, he's trying to um, conversate. So I like how I would imagine picturing him. He says, pardon me, uh, excuse me, you know, I'm, I'm, I have something to add here or contribute. So you read it differently, but that's okay. It still all means the same thing, but I always liked how it, Reading the different translations always fascinates me because the little notes and stuff always connect back to the same thing. So um, that's my little point there. I like the first thing that the angel says to him. I highlighted this from when we read through it at three chapters a day. But like he says, and the, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. He doesn't call him 
like Gideon at this point has zero accomplishments, right? Like he has never been a mighty man of valor, right? He's the youngest of the youngest, um, the weakest of the weakest. So he doesn't have, he hasn't had any of this authority yet. But um, the angel of the Lord greets him by who he's called to be, not who he is, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and then it continues on. I... I read the story a little bit differently. Like, I always used to read the story and be like, man, wow, Gideon, what a man of, like, little faith or whatever. Like, was the way that I kind of interpreted it. Um, but I've, I've, I have a lot more um, perspective, if that makes any sense. If that's the right word, I don't know that it is. But for, like, I feel like Gideon is asking... Obviously, you don't have the authority or right to question God, that having been said. Um, of the questions he's asking, they seem more reasonable. Because he's saying, like, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? Like, wh why are we, why do good things happen to bad people if God is with us, right? And then, why, or why do bad things happen to good people, right? Vice versa, same thing, kind of. And then, um, he's like, where are these deeds that, that have been recounted to us and passed down, right? And then uh, he says, go in, in obedience, effectively, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Midian, do I not send you, right? And then he comes from, uh, like, how am I supposed to do this? I'm the weakest of the weakest. I'm the least in my father's house who's the least in his house and all that stuff, right? So, and then the Lord says to him, right, I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as if they were one man or as one man. Um, and then he says, all right, if I found favor in your eyes, like, let me make sure it's actually you. Like, this feels like the first time that he's like, all right, let me, let me just triple check here for a minute. Um, and I, I can see doubt there, but I can also see just like wanting to be certain <laughs> that what you're, the move you're going to make is going to be the one, the right one, you know? Yeah, I think I think it's a I think at this point, you know, it seems it seems legit. Like, okay, sure, he's just asking. Like, let me just really make sure this is God that I'm about to you know serve and that, that this is Him. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna dig into some more a little bit of what what else Gideon did. Also, um, like like the Lord is like, or the angel is like, um, patient with him. Like he he says, and the I will wait until you return. So mm -hmm. he's like, he's just like, yeah, I'll wait for you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> No problem, man. I'm outside of time. Hey, so go ahead. Go, go cook a goat. I'll cook some bread. The difference that stuck out to me is, um, like, one of the differences between, uh, like, New Covenant and Old Covenant, where um, Gideon wants to, like, wants a sign. He's, like, basically testing to see that if it's really God talking to him, where in under New Covenant we're, like, commanded, do not test the Lord your God. Um, so it's interesting in, like, the Old Testament when, um, like, seeing differences like that between the two covenants. Yeah. So, like, I, I, Zach, I like the comment that you said about uh, how, how the angel approached Gideon, that he had, he had no, you know, medals of honor or, you know, he, he hasn't accomplished anything yet, and yet he's approaching him, mighty hero, mighty... Wow. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I'm trying to say all the words at once and don't turn out right. 
mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And it's like, I haven't done anything yet. I want to share a little story. It's a true story. A man was failing out of high school and struggled growing up. He was raised by a single mom in the Midwest. He promised his mother he'd take the SAT test. He didn't expect to get a good score. The score came back. He got a 1480 out of 1600. <laughs> it's a very good score on the SAT. His mother, knowing her kid, asked, did you cheat? He swore to her he didn't cheat. In his senior year, he realizes he's smart and decides to attend classes now. He stops hanging out with his old crowd. The teachers and kids seem to notice they start treating him differently. He graduates, attends community college, goes on to Wichita State, and eventually goes to an Ivy League. He goes on to become a successful magazine entrepreneur. You think he's smart. He just needed to he he just needed the standardized test to unlock his potential. Nope, this isn't the story. What comes next is the important part. Twelve years later, the man gets a letter in the mail from Princeton, New Jersey. He doesn't think anything about it. The next day, his wife asks him if he's going to open the letter. He opens it. Turns out the SAT board periodically reviews their test-taking procedures and policies. He was one of 13 people sent the wrong SAT score. His actual score was 740 out of 1600, not 1480. Bruh. People say his whole life changed when he got the 1480. What really happened is his behavior changed. He started acting like a person with a 1480 and started doing what someone with a 1480 does. Yeah. It's literally. crazy. He, he really got a 740. He got basically less than 50%. When really he thought he got like, I don't know the math exactly, maybe 80%, 90%. And so he's like, wow, I'm actually pretty smart. I really should be going to classes because why am I skipping class? I, I got this. His teachers notice difference. His friends notice difference. He's like, I'm not going to hang out with these people anymore. And he became really successful in, in, in his career. But that was never actually his score. I think it's a similar thing happening right here. The Lord is coming to him saying, mighty hero. The Lord is with you. Not, hey, weak, weakest of the weak dude. Hey, hey man. <laughs> go fight that army over there. You'd be like, what? You're calling me for who I am? I know I'm the weakest of the weak. And you want me to go win a battle? How am I supposed to do that? No, he's like, mighty hero. The Lord is with you. And Gideon's like, but I'm weak. I'm the weakest of the weak. I'm the lowest of the low. I'm a nobody. Who am I? And doesn't say, oh, you'll, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be the strongest of the strong. No, he's like, I'll be with you. That's the key difference. I'll be with you. So then, from there, Gideon, uh, he he takes down um, the the altar of, of Baal, the, the their god that they were worshiping, and tears down their share pole, and um, tears down. People come out the next day, like, hey, what happened to Baal's altar? And and they're like. Oh, it was Gideon. Oh, let's kill him. And his dad was like, why are you defending Baal? Let, let Baal defend himself. And they're like, okay. And he doesn't, you know, attack Gideon. And then we're going to pick up in Judges 6, 36. Judges 6, 36. Then Gideon said to God, 
if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promise, prove it to me in this way. I'll put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I'll know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. Gideon got up next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a, a whole bowl full of water. So, he had asked for a sign before with the angel, and he's like, let me offer it a sacrifice. And it got consumed up. He's like, yep, this is God. This is legit. And he's like, but let me ask for one more sign here. Um, how about, like, the ground is dry, but, like, this is wet. And he's like, alright. So that's good enough, right? Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So now he's like, so God... Thanks for proving yourself, but um, now make this dry and everything else wet, because surely only God could do that. So he did. What do you think? I think he was like, okay, this would be a good test. And then halfway through the good test, he's like, I've never left a fleece outside overnight. Does it usually do this or not? <laughs> and he's like, hold up, God. Do you mind doing one more just so that I can check? And make sure this is out of the ordinary. And then God's like, go. Cool. Here's that triple check. Right, okay, okay. Yeah, Here's that is, triple check that you said. He's like, weird. hey, I'm going to, can we do this again? Or... Mm. We serve a very, very patient God. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that we should follow Gideon's example and ask God for three signs whenever we, <laughs> we feel that he's calling us to do something? Probably. Not necessarily. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. But I do think we do it often. Because it's like, you know, where we don't believe, again, in ourselves, or even in God. So we're always asking for those signs, like, hey, have you really, you know, like, the doubt or whatever, it always creeps in, and you're like, you know, and we always act like that, too. Yeah. I, I feel like we, we ask for, for a sign to do a good thing sometimes. For something that we already know that we should do, but we just don't want to do it. We're like, God, if I should help this person... Show me a sign. And it's like, is this not a sign enough that says help those in need? Like, I feel like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to myself too because I've totally been like, oh, I see someone I could help. God, show me a sign that I should help them. And I, in those moments, I'm, I'm probably being a Gideon, just being like, God, thanks for the first sign and tell me explicitly that I should do that and help somebody in need. But can you can you show me again? Can you show me a sign that says help this person right here and like with flashing arrows and lights? Like that would be really cool. Then I know for sure that's you, and then I might do it. Yeah. I think it's better to walk in obedience the first time you hear. I will say, I think it's pretty close to the next best thing to have the conversation with God and say, hey, is this <laughs> I just want to make sure this is really you. I think that's better than saying it's probably in my head and moving on, um, if that makes sense. Because that's what happens to me is I'm just like, man, I, I have so many things going on in my head. Like, it's probably just, you know, one of those things. And to actually have the conversation is, prob is I believe, better than not, better than just ignoring it entirely. Yeah. Well, anything else?
another way that I've heard this, Pastor Greg has talked about putting putting fleeces out, and I've never heard that phrase before. And I think I don't know if it's in regards to this story specifically, yeah. although yes. that would make this sense. This is the one. Yes, or um, Ruth and Boaz, uh, but I think it's this one. And the concept essentially being not testing wise, but we have every right and we can ask God to confirm our direction, to confirm what we believe about ourselves or what we don't believe about ourselves or what we want to believe um, is true. And just speaking from personal experience, I mean, Pastor Greg talked to me about putting fleeces out when I was and am considering a new job, right? So if I'm going to put fleet, God, like if you want me to go into this field of study, like have somebody talk to me this week about whatever it is, you know, things like that, things of that nature. It's like, you know, you come to a point where it's the only thing you can think to do is say, God, like I need, I need confirmation from you that this is the right choice, Mm -hmm. that this is the next step, that this is the right decision to make. Um, And like to piggyback off what Zach was saying, like having that conversation just invites yourself into greater intimacy with God in the first place. Um, Not necessarily as a lack of faith or belief, I think, but more of like an invitation of like, God, you're in this with me. Like, help me see it your way. Help me see my life in this next step, this next direction, this next whatever um, through your eyes so that I know it's really you in step with me. Yeah. Just a That's good. And my, my point in this is not don't ask God for a sign, don't ask God for confirmation. But because that'd be a very wise thing to do, to ask mm-hmm. God for confirmation before, especially for big decisions and big changes. I think maybe something to pull out of this is at what point? Right? How many signs will you how many need? Right, we ask how many how many how many signs are you gonna need to actually do it? Because right. if the answer is twelve, yeah. why? Why do you need twelve signs? Why isn't God saying to do something once enough? If you ask God for a sign and he gives you one sign, or if you say, God, you know, I don't know if I should do this or this, and then somebody speaks to you or you, you hear something about something, that, that could be the sign. That could be God speaking to you. Mm-hmm. You might not hear an audible, like, go to this college, <laughs> not that one. From You might not hear that or do not take that job offer. Wait two more weeks and I'll have that. You might not hear that. But it's through that, what we talked about before, hearing from God, it could be that still small voice, it could be others, it could be while you're reading the word that God speaks to you about something. Yeah, um, a really good mentor of mine said to me, like in reference with decision making, she said, where there is peace, there is Jesus. And that's always been like a key like fact that I've used when making a decision, mm-hmm. is like, where is my peace lie? Is there peace in this? Is there prosperity in this for me? Yeah. Or And if not, why? You know, what does that say about that in your life? Something that uh, somebody said to me one time when I was trying to figure out, should I go to community college? Should I go to a four-year college? You know, should I do this and then go there? I was just kind of like, I don't really know what to do. And somebody said something to me that stuck with me till today. Whether you go there or whether you go there, God will be with you either way. And I was like, wow. And that kind of 
put things back in perspective for me. That helped me figure things out. Kind of like, God, you know, I feel like this is the smarter way that I should go, the, the way that this should be approached. And I know you'll be with me either way, you know, but if, if you have a certain way that you want me to go, make it abundantly clear. Um, otherwise, you know, like, you can make your own decision. God's given us free will. So I, I saw this uh, essentially an allegory, or essentially a, a certain way a, a commentator put this fleece into uh, breaking it down. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just curious your guys' thought about the analogy. The fleece represents the Jewish people, and the area around it represents the Gentiles. The fleece was covered with dew while all around was dry, representing the Jewish nation favored with the law and the prophets. The fleece was then dry and all around was wet with dew, representing that the Jewish nation was cast off, rejecting the gospel, and the gospel was preached to the Gentiles, and they converted to God. The dew wrung out into the bowl represented the doctrines of Christianity, which are extracted from the Jewish writings. This is also shadowed forth by Christ pouring water into a basin and washing the disciples' feet. Thoughts? I feel like there's a little bit of stretching in there, but I'm yeah, pretty that's, sure. That's, that's, um, I'm just curious it's your guys' thoughts. It's a bit of a stretch, it, it feels just like. It feels so unnecessary. It's, a, it's an unnecessary reading into... I feel like there's so much that's actually there that we're just like, that we have actual prophecies that have like come through that I feel like we don't need to necessarily go that into it. But if it helps you understand it, then sure, why not? No, I, I, I kind of see it as Gideon was like, how can I have a, a, visual, a visual sign? It's like, oh, I got this fleece. Like, Oh, yeah, Gideon definitely has no idea about any of that, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> There's zero doubt <laughs> in my mind of that. So, right after this, I'm not going to go too far into it, but I, I actually saw this in a, in a new light that just clicked all of a sudden. Um, right, after the, right after that fleece demonstration in, uh, in Chapter 7, God will eventually, God, Gideon has 32,000 people in his army ready to go. Gideon's like, I got this. I got all my signs from God. I'm ready to go. Let's go fight this battle. I got my 32,000 men. Let's go defeat the Midianites. And, and God is like, wait, hold on. You've got too many warriors with you. If you let all of them fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they save themselves by their own strength. So tell the so God uses a few different things to decrease them from 32,000 to 300. And with those 300 people, they were successful with the Lord in defeating the enemy. 32,000 to 300. Now if you do the math, that's 1%. That's actually a little less than 1%. Got, he, he's like, I got 32,000 strong, ready men, ready to go, fight this battle, and win. They're ready to sacrifice their lives. And God's like, I only need 1% of that. That's enough. Here's the kicker. Here's the part that really spoke to me. Because God speaks about leaving the 99 for the 1. God said, leave your 99%. We're going to win this battle with 1 to boast in the Lord, not in their own strength. Isn't there a correlation somewhere where it's with the sheep and he like leaves the 99 to go mm -hmm. find the one? Yep. I was like, 
when you said the 99, I'm like, I've heard that yeah. so many times in the in a song or in the scripture. And I'm like, you leave the 99 to go find the one, um, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's where that comes from. Yeah, the Sweet. analogy of Jesus speaking the same, you know, when what happens when a shepherd loses one sheep? Yeah. He's going to leave the 99 who are safe and they know where they're at to save and rescue the one. Anyway. I think not the song in my head. That one song that has the ninety nine in it. I never, yeah, um, I never, <laughs> I never realized this, but it's funny that uh, Gideon does the fleece thing twice, and then God cuts down his army size twice, yeah. right? So he cuts it down from thirty three thousand some odd to uh, to about ten thousand, and then he cuts it down to three hundred from there. <laughs> It's just kind of interesting that God's like, all right, you tested me twice, I'm going to test you twice. Let's see what we got. <laughs> like, are you going to walk in obedience wait, after wait after we've already it's had good. this thing? It's good. Oh, guys, this is good stuff. There are days where I'm just like, oh, man, Bible study is going to be like 15 minutes today because I don't really have much to say. And then God starts speaking, and I'm like, whew, this might be like more than one week's worth of stuff right here. Um, all right, so I'm going to jump around a little bit on what I was planning on doing. Um, let's go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 16. 28. Matthew 28. So Jesus was just resurrected. He came back from the dead. There was the report from the guard saying that some, you know, they were giving a false uh, story that someone came to steal Jesus during the night while they were sleeping. The guards were bribed to say that. Um, and then we have the Great Commission. And that's where we're at right here. Somebody want to read this? 16 through 20. I'll take it. Go for it. Sounds like it. Almost there. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Ah, the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Keep going. 20. Yep. And, te and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. I love that scripture. Wait, say that last part oh. again. And surely <laughs> I am with you always to the very end of the age. Cool. Oh, back in Matthew. What's going on here? What happened? He's telling them what to do. <laughs> He's giving them uh, the commandment, uh, the Great Commission, right, as it's called. And he says... Uh, they, uh, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's that doubt again. Jesus came and gave him command. Isn't that crazy? He was just resurrected. He was dead for three days, and he came back to life. And we've got Thomas. We've got a real bad rep. His name was Doubting Thomas, Thomas, as we know him. And was like, Jesus... Nah, y'all didn't see it. I'm not going to believe that he came back from the dead until I put my hand through the hole that he was piercing, put my hand in his side. Then I'll believe that Jesus is alive again. Dude, that guy, 
if you want to look at doubt, like his name is—he's been nicknamed Doubting Thomas. That's gotta suck. But but here we are in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Post-resurrection, and they're still doubting. And Matthew doesn't even cover this up, which which is pretty cool. It even shows more authenticity of of the writer. If you're trying to prove your point, if someone were trying to make up a story about Jesus to for whatever reason, why would you say that people were doubting him? That, that would leave a lot of weakness in your story. But he's like, no, like we still doubted, but we still worshipped. What else? What is the Great Commission? What were they being instructed to do? Go and make disciples. Mm hmm Where? Everywhere. Yeah. They had all the authority, they had all the good things, they had all the right all the right uh, things to use, utilize. And yeah, I, they all the teachings, all the wisdom. And they were commanded to do so. And if they're going to go and do it, go and do it, make it happen. And then tell them all the good news here, which is, you know, I'm with you always to the very end. And what's, what's a correlation? What is something <coughs> that God said to Gideon that, he's, that Jesus is saying here to the disciples? I'm with you. I'm with you. Even to the end of the age. How comforting is that? The same God who brought Gideon, the weakest of the weak, to defeat an army with 1% of his army, he said, you'll win with 1% of your army against the enemy because I am with you. To have the same God tell these disciples, I know you doubted me, but I'll be with you. Go make disciples. Go baptize them. Go baptize them. Go teach them to obey all the commands. What else? Anything else here? Jesus didn't say, once you're absolutely certain, to the core, without any doubt, then you can go. Mm -mm. He said, go and make disciples of all men. He looks at these worshiping, doubting guys and says, Go, doubters, go. Go tell the world the good news about me. The very good news with your, that you're doubting with your own eyes. I know it seems too good to be true, but get up, go. Kind of like how we said in the worship zone, get up and praise the Lord. He also didn't say, when you become a pastor, go and make disciples. Or, when you reach a certain level of spiritual knowledge, go out and make disciples. Mm -hmm. Or, when you, you know, X, Y, Z, then go. Like you're talking about, like, these were regular guys with regular types of faith. With their moments and their seasons and their hardships and everything about life that would be thrown at them and Jesus still called them to go regardless of where they were in their the, the only 
foundation for going was understanding and having accepted exactly what Jesus came to do, who Jesus was, and choosing to live for him, and that was all you needed. It didn't matter, you know, any, anything else didn't matter, and I think we get, speaking for me personally, get so hung up on what our qualifications are, how we're qualified, if we're qualified, all these things, that we stop ourselves from going before we even try, or we stop ourselves from trying before we even get there. But Jesus didn't require anything other than faith in him. So. Yeah. I also I also think it's key in the story of Gideon. One of the, my favorite parts is that after the whole fleece thing, from that moment on, Gideon does not question a single thing that he's commanded to do. He goes through, and I was just reading reading it again just to make sure I had my story straight. So he goes through, and he a lot of the Midianites kill themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And then they flee away. And so he's chasing them with his guys. And I think it's something like 74 days or something like that, that they're running after these guys. And so, as you know, in the military, right, if you're pursuing people, like, you don't exactly have a bunch of food, access to food and stuff like that. So they're, you know, kind of running low on food and they're pretty hungry. And so he asks this, uh, this town, he's like, hey, can we get some, some food? We're going to kill these, these two kings. And uh, these two heads of Midian. And they're like, no. Uh, he's like, you don't have the head of Midian right now, so why would we give you food or whatever? He's like, all right, I'm going to go kill the head of Midian, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to kill you too. And everybody that's a leader in the town, all the elders of the town, right? And so sure enough, he goes up and he does it, and he walks in complete confidence in what God has told him to do from that moment forward. And it's pretty cool because my, my translation says uh, he got he, he said he would get briars, right? And, and uh, it says he came back with briars and taught them a lesson, is what it says. And then he kills them after that. <laughs> it's like, man, just absolute, like, kind of viciousness. But the confidence that he had to do what God called him to do after he started walking in it, in obedience. What's briars, by the way, like thorns. thorns. Okay. I, I, I was going to say that, but I'm like, no, there's no way it's Briar's ice cream. Yeah, that was <laughs> Kayla. But anyway, um, no, Briar's is thorns. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Why are you becoming Zach, Kayla? I wonder. Let's not talk about it right now. Fine. Here's, here's I think, a really important thing to take out of this part, what we see here with the disciples. The key verse is 17. They worshipped him, but some of them doubted. They worshipped him, even though they doubted. Disciples are not people who never doubt. They doubt and worship. They doubt and serve. They doubt, mm, scratch all this, I'm going to say yet, or but. Disciples are not people who never doubt. They doubt, but they worship. They doubt, but they still serve. They doubt, but they still help each other with their doubts. To be a community where everybody can be open about their faith and be open about their doubts, that's the key. It's not a matter of, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm doubting God. I doubt that I'm that I can be used. That He can do anything with me. I, I doubt who He is, so I'm just not gonna do anything because I'm doubting. No. 
you still worship, you still serve, you still help each other, you still are in community with God, even through your doubts, even with your doubts. That's what being a disciple is. That's what being a Christian is. It's not about having it all figured out. It's not about saying, once I get rid of my worries, once I get rid of my doubts, once I get rid of this, once I get myself straightened out, once I, I figure out, once I, I know what I'm doing in my life, then I'll worship God. Nope. It's while I'm figuring this out. It's while I'm working through these struggles. It's while I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm still worshiping. I'm still serving. I'm still helping. I'm still in fellowship with God. them of his authority, reminds them of who he is. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he closes it with, I'm with you always. So he's like, this is who I am. This is why you should believe in me. I am three and one. That's good. And then he says, this is who's going to be with you always as you go and you face these challenges. Yeah. And take on everything that I call you to do. That's good. Good. Yeah, segue to you, Rachel, is Watching people get baptized or rededicate or whatever, it's always fascinating to like, watching people do it because it's like they're making the public declaration, they're dedicating their life, rededicating it, or laying it all like they want Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior. But all like the way I see it every time is it always says my they they always say it's my honor to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I always um, enjoy listening to that. So good segue part of what you said, Rachel. I think we'll hit one more thing, and then we got a little time. Mark 9. Flip forward a few more pages, or scroll just a little bit. Mark 9. Flip or scroll. Mark 9, 14. Mark 9, 14. Does somebody want to take 14 through, we might go through this one a little quickly, but there's just... Some small stuff to get. Oh, there might be more, but nothing too crazy that we're gonna stick with here. I'll I'll split it with somebody if somebody wants to. Split go for it. Go ahead and start, and then you can uh, call out where you stop at. Okay. We're reading fourteen through. Right. Mark nine fourteen. We're gonna be going through twenty nine. Okay. Um, I'll read first half, then I'll split it. Here we go. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked you, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Popcorn Zach. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the, on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and, walk, and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible 
for, who for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, or prayer and fasting, some manuscripts say. What do you guys see going on here? Surface level or, or deeper? Surface level? I, you know how Jesus is the great physician? He asks such a physician question. <laughs> There's this boy convulsing on the ground and foaming at the mouth. He's like, so how long has this been happening? Like, how long have you been experiencing this? He's like, from birth. And um, I say that in, in somewhat of a lighthearted manner, but he kind of approaches it like that, and then he's like, if you, if you can, right? Not approaching it with the belief, and uh, obviously, like, this is a father trying to look out for their son, right? Um, you would assume that this, this boy has grown up for years now, and so this father has looked for solutions to this problem for many years, right, you would assume. And he's just kind of running on empty here. And Jesus kind of, I feel like, the way that he chooses to heal the boy gives the father a valuable lesson in, hey, um, it doesn't matter how long things have been a certain type of way, you are still called to walk in obedience. You are still called to have this faith and things like that. So, cool. What else? Definitely, like, we talked about a lot about believing, and it's like, I do believe, help me overcome it. Um, and, like, even though it's been going on since childhood, um, it's like, he wants to get this taken off of him or uh, there's a lot of things he's fallen, fallen short or he was on the ground, the the, uh, the fire and all that. So And then it, towards the end, it's like, why couldn't it be driven out? Or NIV says, why couldn't we drive it out? But um, it only comes up by praying. So I think praying is super powerful as it always is. And, you know, if he's going to get all this stuff um, saved from him, prayer is the great answer. So it's fascinating. After all, watching the doubting again and questions and arguing and X, Y, and Z, it's like all this coming out is answered by prayer. So I think it's pretty powerful. What's the opposite of believing? Would it be doubt? No. No. I'd say it would be like not. Verse 24, it almost seems like a contradiction, right? How can you believe but have unbelief, right? Uh, Jesus, I do believe, but help me, overcome, oh, help me overcome my unbelief. But yet, 
How real is that sentence? Yeah. Yes, well, I do believe in you, but help me overcome my own belief because I'm also human and I'm not perfect. And I, I want to fully believe you, but I have my doubts. It's like, do you, do you believe me in this situation? Do you believe in me for healing, if that's what it is? You can believe in me, right? You can believe that I am who I say I am. And, but do you believe that I want to heal you? Do you believe that that's a promise that you can walk in? Do you, you know, I think overall we can have head knowledge of, yes, I believe, even heart knowledge. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe I'm saved. But if tragedy strikes my family, if disease comes upon someone I care about, if someone gets in a car accident, if whatever it is, those are, I think, oftentimes the moments where it's like, oh, I know I believe in Jesus, but it hurts right now. Help me overcome my unbelief that you comfort me. Help me overcome my unbelief that I can have peace in this situation. Like. When you get down to the nitty-gritty details, that unbelief is like, can be so real to us at times. Even if we believe in Jesus, it's like, okay, but now I'm asking you to believe in what I've told you. I'm asking you to believe and trust in the promises I've given you and the foundation I've laid for you. Like, do you believe enough in that? If your answer is like, God, help me in my unbelief, then it is so relatable, like you said. like. I, I do believe, I believe Jesus, but help me overcome my unbelief right now in this situation with this, you know, these people or this hardship, like, help me, because I need, I need that, you know, yeah. I need that in That's that good. moment. My elementary Bible study teacher, I think it was, I think it was him that said, uh, yeah, believing in God is, is important, but it's more important to believe God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of what you're trying to say. I think I'm also like, you know, a lot of times, like we're praying for something so long. And like, no matter, you know, like, that's why I kind of feel this, because it's like, we pray for it for so long, but nothing happens. And that's when our unbelief kind of comes. And I think, um, so this is kind of like a question, because like, and I say like Jesus replies, can only be cast out only by prayer and stuff. Like a lot of times prayer works. But like how do you tell somebody, like, oh, you just need to keep praying, you need to keep praying, but like it just, nothing ever changes. Like how would you go about doing that? Because like, yes, you know, like us, we would always be like, yeah, just pray about it, you know, we'll have in positive vibes and all that stuff. But like what if it just doesn't keep happening? Like how would you deal with that? I think part of that is... In what the Father cried out there, like, help me overcome my unbelief. But also, is, is a matter of your belief and trust in God dependent on what he does for if you. this happens. So if it's God, I've been praying for a miracle. I've been praying for this cancer to go away for 20 years. And it seems like this will be the last year that I'll be praying this if you don't answer it. Is God's goodness, is God's who he is dependent on him answering it the way that we want it answered. Because if so, there's doubt there that that he is still good no matter what. 
it's not an easy answer. Uh, maybe someone else has a better way that, I mean, that wouldn't be the most comforting thing to say to someone, but <laughs> at the same time, it'd be, it'd be real of, you know, yeah, pray without ceasing. That's what we're told to do. Jesus tells us to, to pray, never stop praying, to keep praying about it. Yeah. And to pray about everything, to not worry, but to pray instead. Yeah, the easy way to say, but the hard way to, to appreciate or understand is that uh, our belief in God and His promises cannot be contingent on the result. Uh, but it has to, we, we, like, we have to have the faith that He has uh, the best plans in mind. And we are still able to ask for, uh, for particular results, but our, our faith cannot be based upon what the results of that is, I think. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. A little bit circular. Yeah, I think um, we all believe in God. I mean, we're here, right? So it's just believing in prayer can be a little challenging a lot of times. It's, you you see, like, you you don't see results and stuff. And you stop, you believe in God, but you stop believing, like, well, what, maybe my prayer's not working. And you have doubt with that. Yeah, you don't want somebody to, you know, keep going for a rut. Like you like a lot of times I'll like pray for somebody or like, hey, I'll pray for you. But then I'll like I wanna say it, but not only do I wanna say it, I wanna actually do it. Like I wanna be like, Hey, let's take some time, we'll do it right here, right now. Or if we can't do it right here, right now, I'll say, Hey, I'll go home and I'll pray about it. But I mean, comfort words and stuff like that of prayer is still I think always still powerful. Like I always use it a lot for me and anybody else who has prayed like uh, for others and, and seeing the works even though you may not see them right now it does mean something so i have, I, have I think also like i understand what you're saying like it's really hard when people are like oh hey, you should pray for things and then you don't see it answered and it's very discouraging i think we, we kind of heard about this a little bit on sunday at, at my church um which i thought was really helpful for me because i feel the same way it's like when you really believe something's going to happen and it doesn't happen that can take a toll on your faith and I think like for me some good like some helpful things is like looking at the biblical examples of people who prayed in faith and didn't see their prayers answered like um well there's one that is the opposite where it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they get thrown in the fire and they're like throw us in the fire God will save us but even if he doesn't we'll do it anyway and that's a good example, like, to me, it's like, prayer is not magic. Like, it may not happen the way you want it to, um, but that's, that's like, an example of faith. And then also, like, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying because he knew what was coming. Like, no one else understood what was happening, but he saw what was coming, but he still prayed to God, like, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Like, don't let me go through this. And kind of the way that they described it at church was like, God said no. God answered that prayer, and the answer was no. And Jesus already knew that because Jesus and God were fully one. So Jesus already knew before he prayed that prayer that he would have to continue on this path that he was on. He already knew that. But he still prayed and he still was at peace with God with what it was. But he was still distraught over it. He still prayed even though he knew the outcome. And I think that like mindset sometimes of like, I don't always know the outcome. I'm still going to pray for the one that I want, and if it doesn't happen, that's where we, we see that, like, when God says no to something, like, 
if Jesus did take on what he did, then the rest of the Bible wouldn't have happened. Obviously, our lives are never going to be that dramatic, but, like, at the end of it, like, that's the example I use because telling someone, like, oh, God will make it good is not very helpful, but just using that example of, like, seeing the struggle that Jesus went through, like, God relates to our pain when he says no to us. It wasn't a pleasant experience for him to say no to Jesus and make him go through that and turn his back on his, on a piece of himself, but there was that process that we can see, like, struggling with God is okay, and God is okay with that, but then just still having the faith that he will see it through, even if it's not the way we want it to be seen through. Yeah, I mean, all the disciples were martyrs, right? So, like, I'm pretty sure they would rather not have been stoned to death or crucified upside down or however the method of death was. Pretty sure they would have preferred not having that in all the prison time and things like that. Um, to tack on what Hannah was saying, I really like uh, the, the preacher who was saying yesterday, the way he worded was really elegant, I think, of when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was praying in the Garden before he was crucified, <laughs> yeah. he, the, the way the pastor said it was, even Jesus, who was perfect, sinless, you know, you would think like, why, why wouldn't someone's answer prayer be answered in the way that they're asking like especially Jesus of all of all to, to pray you would think Jesus's very prayer would be answered because he's the one answering it right God's the one answering it but even Jesus who was perfect and sinless as he's like down and just praying like on his face you know grasping the very dirt that he created the answer was no if you Lord God Father, take this cup of suffering from me. He's down on the ground. He created the ground that he's laying on to put his faith down in reverence to God. And the answer was no. And on the other side, that was exactly, you picked up what I was going to say. Daniel 3.18 came to mind. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, was about to throw him in the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they said, uh, they said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And we all know how that turned out. And it doesn't always turn out that way. But they said, even if he doesn't, we will never bow down to your God. And... It's not an easy truth to, to take, especially when it's going through something when you're going through something difficult, or to tell someone who's going through something difficult to say, "Hey, even if God says no to curing your cancer, He's still good." That's a hard truth. It's true, but that's a hard truth pill to swallow. But that's what our faith is based on. Of it's not a matter of believing God and all your wishes will come true, because that's a fairy tale. Alright, I, I just want to wrap it up with this. Uh, we were in Mark 9 about the, the Father saying, Lord, help my own belief. I believe, but help my own belief. The Father, in that account, was challenged by Jesus' call for faith. He did believe in Jesus, and Jesus' power to deliver the boy. But he also recognized his doubts. Uh... He did not deny God's promise, 
He desired it. However, it just seemed too good to be true, so he said, help my unbelief. Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Help my unbelief is something a man can only say by faith. While men have no faith, they are unconscious of their unbelief. But as soon as they get a little faith, they begin to be conscious of the greatness of their unbelief. I'm going to read that again. Yes, Because that was kind of a lot. I'm going to try to break it a little bit so to kind of see where we're at. Help my unbelief is something a man can only say by faith. While men have no faith, they're, they're unaware of their unbelief. But as soon as they get a little faith, they begin to be aware of the greatness of their unbelief. There's still a lot to chew on, but... If nothing else... And like I said, uh, I've said a few times, I'll probably say a few more times, you know, like I've prayed like, Lord, help me to want to be with you. Help me to want to spend time with you. But a lot of times I end up praying, Lord, help me to want to want to spend time with you. Because I do want to. That's not the case. It's help me to want to want to. I want to go for a run. I want to go running every day. But I don't want to go for a run every day. You know, so I'm like, God, help me to want to want to go for a run. So, I'm going to close up, and the challenge, I guess, for this week is to, to ask God, what is that unbelief? What is that area that is, that area where we're saying, God, I believe, but help my unbelief in this, because I'm sure we all have something. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're good no matter what. Whether the answer to our prayer is yes, no, or not yet. We thank you that you are good regardless. That you are worth worshiping. You are the only one worth worshiping. The only, worth, only one worth our life as a sacrifice to. Lord, help our unbelief. Help us to believe you more and more every day, but help our unbelief in knowing that you've got this under control, that you've got us taken care of, that you're watching over every bird in the sky and every flower in the field, and yet you're still watching over us even more. Help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Help us to believe that you are good in every area. Help our unbelief, God. Help us to know that you are good, that you love us, and help our unbelief. Jesus says, Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time when God's presence is with us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.